You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Face all your fears, drink it at me. There's so many donuts on them back streets. Sit so high in the nosebleeds. Feel like I can fly. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush. And I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, my man, how you doing? Corey in the house. What's good? What's good? Yes, sir. Good to be here. Back on the Nosebleeds Podcast. So many things to get into. So many things to talk about. Because we've been gone for maybe a week, almost two weeks, but we're back now. Talk but that's about. because my man's Kush, man, has just been going through it. Like, the yeah. Clippers just been having this man up, down, up, I've down, left, busy. right. Even all, all types of places. Yes, sir. All right, let's get into the NBA while we're at it. And since we're talking about the Clippers, let's talk about the Western Conference Finals. Just ended Wednesday night, unfortunate for Clipper fans. But the Suns do win in six. Kind of crazy from a 10-year playoff drought to Western Conference champions. Kind of has a nice ring to it if you're a Suns fan, because in 18 years, they have not made the NBA Finals, and they're finally back in the promised land, trying to get the Larry O'Brien trophies. But let's talk a little bit about this series. Let's start off with the winners, the Suns. Some takeaways you have going into the finals from their last series and their playoff run in general. Um, Biggest takeaway has been Chris Paul, really, and just the transformation that we've seen of this young team from two seasons ago, last season in the bubble when they went undefeated and just missed out on the playoffs. Like, think about that for a second. Like the Suns slowly, but surely have been building this. This really just didn't happen overnight. Like I know everybody is kind of, you know, surprised and they're, you know, giving all credit to CP3, but let's give some credit to the other guys on the team, the guys such as Devin Booker, who had to spend a long time losing with this franchise. And there was a lot of people rumoring that he should get the heck up out of phoenix and he should be requesting a trade and he should want to get up out of there yeah he should want to get the heck up out of there because he's not gonna you know have any chance of competing uh in such a tough conference like the west if he stays with the suns but lo and behold they have a great draft and where they draft deandre ayton pick up a nice young stud there they uh you know like i said they go through the trials and tribulations of going undefeated in the bubble when they had such a rocky upside down type of season and then going into this season, they pick up tr- Chris Paul in a crazy, crazy, crazy trade. And then that was just the centerpiece that they were kind of missing. They were always kind of just missing that other star player, that veteran star player that had enough security and enough uh, backbone in him to be able to lead a team. Because you got a lot of young guys on this team and you got a lot of veteran guys, yes. But you needed that one staple point, that one guy who can be a coach on the floor and that is the, exactly what Chris Paul is. It's an essential piece that I think had, let's say, for instance, he got injured during this playoff run. I would be kind of, I would have been more surprised if the Suns would have gotten to the finals had CP3 gotten injured or something like that um, and been unavailable to play um, the rest of the way during these playoffs because 
you know, we've been talking about the injuries throughout these entire playoffs. And I feel like, you know, ultimately it's going to come down to whether or not, you know, the team that's ultimately going to win it this year is going to be the team that's able to have everybody as healthy as they possibly can. And so far, you know, even though CB threes had some little nicks here and there and had a few injuries here and there and Devin Booker got knocked in it and got his uh, nose broken, they still had majority of their guys available to play and majority of their team as a unit has been able to play um, throughout this entire playoff run. So I think that this, this just goes to show that we got to start giving more respect to, you know, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, also Monty Williams. Monty Williams really, really has had a tremendous playoff run. And I always thought that the dude had the capabilities of being a head coach way back when he was in new Orleans, um, back when, uh, uh, they were still uh, the Hornets, um, but I just felt like he wasn't given enough time to be able to show that. But he did, you know, I feel like able to, you know, go through that little tenure of being an assistant coach here, there, and then got that chance to be a head coach again. And I think that it's just poetic justice that he was able to, you know, start with having Chris Paul on, on a team that, you know, was a nice little playoff team, but was never able to go anywhere with New Orleans. And now they're together again with the Phoenix Suns and they're in the NBA final. So those are my biggest takeaways from the Suns perspective. It's going to be very interesting to see whether or not they can get a championship under their belt and whether or not they're going to be able to have this same sort of chemistry, same sort of dynamic and still be able to play the same sort of way on the biggest of stages in the NBA finals. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head when, talking about health i think the healthiest team prevailed in this uh situation in the western conference given all the injuries throughout the entire western conference and honestly as much as i hated suns fans this series because i went to game four and i went to game six and man suns fans are you know they're up in the series like they like i I get it talk your talk but some of these things are just like damn bro no so some of them had no class and that's it kind of pissed me <laughs> off it kind of made me hate it didn't make me hate the suns it made me hate suns fans but i'm happy to see that cb3 can finally compete for an nba championship 16 seasons and he's finally made it to the promised land and has a chance to take the hardware depending on what happens in the eastern conference which by the way in game six i was actually sitting next door to his uh entire family i saw uh and the, the crazy thing how i noticed it is because i saw little chris and i was like hey that looks like the kid from the State Farm commercials. <laughs> <laughs> and then lo and behold, I saw his wife and his whole family there. They're all rocking Suns gears. But yeah, we were, we were sitting right by them. So that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, as for the Suns, I mean, the, such a young team with veteran presence and leadership on this team. I mean, you talk about Jay Crowder making his second finals appearance. And then you you have a midseason acquisition in Torrey Craig, who made some game-winning plays of this series. And then obviously the the man at the head of it all is Chris Paul who just seems to breed success everywhere he goes so shout out to him and then obviously yeah you said it Monty Williams having a savvy hedge coach but they definitely uh, made it through the gauntlet of the Western Conference so congratulations to them and we'll see what they can do in the finals uh, as they await their opponents Let's move on to the Clippers side of things. And I might take some time with this because, you know, I got to vent. But honestly, the Clippers, they had a hell of a run. Getting to their first ever conference championship without their superstar Kawhi Leonard for the latter half and down their backup center. And then eventually their starting center getting injured in the Western Conference Finals. But 
this, this Clippers team just remained so resilient throughout the entire playoffs. And honestly, I couldn't say that about any other Clippers teams in the past. This has probably been the most resilient team because other teams would have folded. But this team kept fighting to the last buzzer. And although it's not the result that the Clippers or the Clipper fans wanted, they basically had that mentality of next man up, next man up. And they fought constant blood, sweat, and tears. And before I get into some of the players that I want to give a shout out to, I want to give a gigantic shout out to Ty Lue and everyone that doubted him saying he piggybacked off of LeBron's success when he won a championship and that he's going to be Doc Rivers 2.0. He's proven to NBA fans and myself, honestly, that he is a legitimate coach for this league and is more yeah, than definitely capable. Me too. Definitely me too. And he's more than capable of making adjustments on the fly, which I have not seen from any past Clipper coaches. So, I mean, he is, it, it was literally a chess match between him and Monty Williams, two of the best head coaches in the league. You, I think I can say that now, just given based off this playoff uh, run that both teams had. But I, I, I think he, him just literally going to guys that he's normally gone to see that they haven't worked and then going to other guys that he normally doesn't play and seeing that they work and then running with them the entire series, like, and vice versa too. the guys that did work in last ones and didn't work in this one's like, so I mean, that's a very hard thing to do as a head coach to kind of just swallow your pride, swallow your ego and do what's best for the team. And I know it's only the first season, but I believe from what I saw that, I mean, the playoff with the playoff run that they had this year and the bad luck that they ran into in terms of the injuries, Ty Lue might be the best head coach in franchise history, just based off of solely what I saw from a skill level and a adjustment level, but only time will tell because this is the, only the first season. But from what I saw, I haven't seen a head coach for the Clippers do what he did out there. And then getting to the Clippers players, I'm going to start off with the guy who led it, led the Clippers to be in the position where they were, and that's PG-13, scored 20-plus points in every single game this postseason, which only three other players have done that NBA history. Michael Jordan, Kobe, and Kevin Durant. That's some elite company <laughs> to be in. So, And he averaged 30 points, 11 rebounds, and five-and-a-half assists when Kawhi went down. Check this. He, he was number one in points in the postseason so far, number one in minutes, and second in minutes was Devin Booker, who had 129 less minutes played. And then he was number two in three-point made, four in rebounds, and five in assists. So that pandemic P narrative, I think it's pretty dead. And he's proven that he still can be a formidable number one and perform at a high level with his, uh, with his teams back against the wall. So, I mean, I, there, there's a lot of guys I want to shout out, but it's not a Clippers podcast, so I got to kind of contain myself. <laughs> but I can't, I can't talk about the Clippers without talking about Reggie Jackson. Bobby Schmurda, the unsung hero for the Clippers almost 18 points a game and first of all I want to apologize because I doubted him in the beginning of the season <laughs> just because based off of last season mm -hmm. seeing what he did against the Mavericks and then against the the Nuggets it, it was bad in the bubble I he was a defensive liability he was playing too much iso ball which I know Reggie Jackson from Detroit from OKC like he is a stud but it's kind of he gets in his own way a lot of the times, but he put that to the side and he showed up when the team needed him most. And he even in his exit interview, he said that he was contemplating retirement after last season, but his career kind of got revitalized. And now he's going to get paid this offseason, whether that's <laughs> by the Clippers or someone else. But and then last person I want to shout out is Terrence Mann, young stud in the making, has a great potential. And that's not that's not even being biased at all. Like he's proven 
throughout the playoffs that he's a capable scorer when he has his confidence up because there was some hesitancy. But he's a young guy and he's a solid defender too. So it's good to be. I, I, I like some of these guys for the Clippers, but they have a lot of questions to answer coming this offseason. But let's start off with the takeaways for the Clippers. What did you think, Corey? I think this was a very, like, this was a great season overall for the Clippers. I mean, you know, just in terms of the fact that you look at comparing it to last season and the expectations that were had and the expectations that were put already onto this squad as far as having, you know, Kawhi, PG-13, and falling so short and losing to the Nuggets and not making it to that conference uh, finals. But you look at this year, and I think the biggest thing with the Clippers this year was just, like you said, like next man up and just being able to overcome adversity. For so many years, we've just seen like the Clippers kind of just fold whenever the going got tough or whenever things kind of got difficult, even whether it was the Lob City days, whether it was the Vinny Del Negro days, whether it was, you know, way back when with Elton Brand and Corey McGetty and them boys. So, you know, the Clippers, usually when things get started to get a little bit, you know, difficult or, you know, whenever things start to get a little uncomfortable for them, they would be an instant fold. You can count on them to fold. But I think that this year they surprised people because especially going down 2-0 against the Mavericks, I think any other Clippers team in the years past, everybody would have been like, damn, they about to get swept out of the playoffs on in the first round. It's like, here Shit, we go. I was over here sweating. <laughs> here we go. Like, here we go. It's about to happen again. But I think after they got through that series, Kush, that was, I think, where things sort of started to turn. And I think even though they went down 2-0 against Utah, I kind of felt in the back of my head like this series wasn't over. And um, it was unfortunate that, that Kawhi got injured because I would have loved to have seen Kawhi go up against these Suns and would have loved to have seen the Clippers at least not maybe fully healthy, but at least be able to have – they're all their players available, especially their star players available. Cause I think that would have been one of the, the monkey wrenches in, in, in the whole setup for the Suns is how would they deal with both PG and Kawhi. But then, then again, I mean, PG was able to have the performances that he had because there was no Kawhi. So him having 41 in some games and him dropping all these points. And but he wouldn't have had to do that. if he Exactly. Had exactly. But then, but again, like, like you said, like that deaded the narrative of like him not showing up and him not being a playoff performer. So in some ways, it a, was, ring, a think, ring also would have done that. Of as course, well too. <laughs> of course, of course, of course, of course. But at the same time, I think like it was, I think necessary because I think you got to see something out of everybody in this whole entire run. And I think especially when you got to see something out of Terrence Mann, something that you didn't know that you had, and especially Reggie Jackson, something that, again, that you know you had him, but you didn't know that he could unlock that OKC Detroit, you know, early Detroit days, uh, Reggie Jackson. And so, you know, I think that the Clippers overall, they had a lot of depth, but they were just missing the 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 full meal, you know, they were missing that steak. If they would have had that steak in there, they would have been like a real hard, tough team to have gotten past but um ultimately i'm curious to see what they do in the offseason because the thing that i've noticed with these past couple of that the clippers have had a lot of depth on their side but the thing i think they're missing is just like another go-to guy that they can kind of rely on i'm not saying that it has to be like a heavy big name or anything like that but i'm saying that I think you need a guy in there similar to what the Milwaukee Bucks did in picking up Drew Holiday in a trade. Because when they got Drew Holiday, that kind of provided, I don't want to say a safety net, but 
it's different this year that Giannis got injured versus last year when Giannis got injured. Because when Giannis got injured last year, it was kind of like all the pressures on Middleton now. This year is kind of different because it's like not all the pressures on Middleton to have to do all the heavy lifting, bringing the ball up, setting the offense up, and scoring. You know, you kind of have Drew Holiday to be able to do that there, and other guys are stepping up as well. So the Clippers need another guy in there. Again, like I said, it doesn't have to be a big name, but it has to be somebody that you can – rely on so that way if it's Kawhi, if it's pg if it's whoever that goes down that you need in the fold in the team you have another guy in place there that can still uplift the team bring them up and continue to push them forward because like i said the clippers got a lot of depth i think they need to shed some of the depth that they have in order to make sure that the meat potatoes the 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 main course meal that they have is all set to go because it's great to have those dudes as far as depth when you're in the regular season. But as we always say, in the playoffs, it's different. You're not going to go really deep into your bench all that often. I know this was, you know, the Clippers is always a different team and the rotations is always different because you got so many weapons to work with. But I just think they need another guy that can be able to provide you that safety net. And then also, you know, you didn't have a Baca in there as well. I understand that too. But if they would have had another guy in there that would have been able to maybe take a little bit of the burden off of PG and they could go like one-two punch sort of thing. I know Reggie Jackson was doing that this year, but I just feel like that would have been something that would have been like totally different. It would have taken the Clippers to a whole nother level. And I think that that would have, I think, maybe even pushed them over the edge. But who's to say? Well, I think I think this roster would have been more than capable of winning a championship, seeing how Reggie Jackson was right, that guy right. this season. But I mean, heading into this offseason, I think they have a lot of lumen free agents that they have to question. So actually, let's get into that because they got Kawhi on a player option and he already said that he's most likely going to opt out. And then you have Ibaka, who has a nine point seven million dollar player option, which he may opt into just because of his uh, surgery to his back. And then you have Reggie Jackson, who is on a veteran minimum, which he completely (laughs) outplayed that contract (laughs) and he's going to be looking to get the bag this offseason. And then you have Nick Batum, who was also on a veteran minimum. He was on a buyout. So I doubt he takes another veteran minimum because he's probably going to get a mid-level exception from another team or if he wants to stay with the Clippers. Because sounding from the exit interview, it seemed like he really wanted to stay with the Clippers. But it depends. On it, it just depends on the flexibility because it's kind of tricky with the Clippers. And then you have a guy like DeMarcus Cousins who really, really stepped up when Ibaka was out. And then Zubak went down as well, too. So. I he was on a veteran minimum, but honestly, I don't even know what he's gonna ask for because I feel like I don't know he hasn't done anything significant to earn a lot of money. But at the same time, I feel like he's gonna ask for a lot of money because I think he's taking what like three or four veteran minimums in a row. So yeah, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna want to ask for some sort of uh, money, yeah. and their 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 cap space is kind of tricky next season. Yeah. They really they have PG making thirty nine mil next year. Marcus Morris making 15.6, Pat Bev making 14.3, Rondo 7.5, Zubak 7.5, Kennard 12.7, and then you have uh, Terrence Mann and Daniel Arturo on rookie contracts, and then Yogi Ferrell on a veteran minimum. So, I mean, if they're going to be trying to be contenders again and try to get to the promised land, I think the Clippers, they could definitely do it with this core guys that they have but in order to keep these pending impending free agents that they have, have to share, give a lot of money yeah up. they're gonna they're gonna have to spend a lot of money and not even a lot of these guys have bird rights so we can't even uh give them you know max or not max we can't give them uh uh contracts that go over the salary cap so 
And even if we do, it's going to be a heavy luxury tax. Which, I mean, Clippers have Steve Ballmer. I don't think money's an issue for Steve <laughs> Ballmer. But yeah, I think step one is re-signing Kawhi. Get him to a contract, yes. which I think he's 95. I'm 95% sure that he's going to re-sign with the Clippers. I'll say I'm, 85 just because I'm never really sure what Kawhi is going to do. I don't think Kawhi even knows what he's going to do. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll say and 85. But I we'll say see. Reggie Jackson is step two. How you do that, it's going to be a lot of... It's going to be depending on what he wants. Because if he yeah. wants to... Because I, I think it depends because he... He made it seem in his exit interview that like he may not... like It's a very big possibility that he does not come back to the The Clippers. only reason is because like he has the potentiality of getting starter-level money. Like, That's, yeah, no, absolutely. I think he's getting could, 15 mil plus. Easy. Yeah, you're talking about a guy who could very well finesse a Terry Rozier level contract Gordon oh, absolutely. level contract this year so I mean it depends on I think what he wants to do and what teams are offering because if a team comes calling and they are willing to give this man a crazy level amount of money I think if he wants to run it back with the Clippers it would be amazing if he you know turned down the money and sort of like if he wants to chase after a ring but I mean, you know, I don't, I'm I don't thinking think, about security. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking about security and thinking about like, you know, how often are we going to see Reggie Jackson play as well as he did in this past postseason? You know, it's kind of up in the air. Well, they so, still could sign him to that big contract, but they'd have to trade some pieces. Yeah, some of those guys like pieces, Rondo, Canard, yeah. Pat Bev, Ibaka, if he opts mm-hmm. in, Zubak, and they have two first round picks in 2021, this upcoming draft, and then 2028. So you probably won't get an all star with that, but you could create cap space in order you could get to get probably like a, a borderline all-star type yeah thing. or you know a guy like reggie jackson kind of creates some space but i mean how how big do you want to blow up the teams because i feel like every That's single true. person i named are very key role players to this team so that's very true i don't know so. health i feel like is the biggest concern for this team and that's why they always roll deep they always try right. to get those guys and you saw this playoffs they had three very key I mean, you could even say Ibaka is a starter. He started, I think, 39 out of the 41 games that he played in the regular season. So three starters were down in the playoffs. So that's when, you know, uh, depth comes into uh, the equation. So maybe they could run it back. I like their chances if they do run it back to. Yeah, me too. If they're able to somehow get at least majority of the guys that you named on the list, as far as like, let's say like they get Kawhi, Ibaka, Reggie Jackson. I feel like that would be good enough. And then you fill in the rest of the guys with some veteran minimums mm-hmm. um, and then figure out the chemistry as the season goes along next year. And then just try to see if you can make it work. But if you keep like the main core that was a part of the run, I think that's just going to be really good to see you get a full off season of these guys together. And you already made a conference finals this year. I think next year will be a finals or bust sort of mentality for me, at least, for me, at least, because yeah, regardless I mean, I of this regardless, year was too, but I think yeah, and it would have been got and see, yeah, yeah, and the, the crazy, yeah, and the crazy thing is this would have been the perfect opportunity because you don't have Absolutely. to necessarily deal with the Lakers at the moment because you know they had their injury issues as well. So, uh, you know, that's the only thing. This this makes me feel like it makes me think of like when the Clippers ran into the Spurs in the first round, they knocked them out. And then, you know, Chris Paul got injured. Yeah. Blake Griffin got injured. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. It, it was, you know, but 
I think these opportunities that's, that's literally how it goes all the time though and that's why the Suns are in the NBA finals not a exactly. knock against them but no, like, no 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 but like not. literally the healthiest team will always prevail yeah 100 percent all right, let's move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Bucks are up 3-2. Game 6 is on Saturday at 5.30 Pacific time. But I think the main story in this series is both number ones on each team are battling injuries. You have Trey Young with a foot injury. He got injured in Game 3 with a bone bruise in his foot. He was out Game 4, Game 5. But he did shoot around Game 5 and was a game-time decision. Ultimately ruled him out. But I think he comes back Game 6, especially with the season on the line. Um, and then on the other side, you have Giannis Antetokounmpo. He injured his knee in uh, game four, hyperextending his left knee. And when I saw it, I swear I thought I thought he tore his ACL because that motion and impact that very similar to mine and very similar to like Clay Thompson, very similar to I'm not laughing. Jamal I'm not laughing. Murray. I'm not laughing. It's just like the way he described it. It was just like, man, he's like, he felt that. Like I felt, oh, that. absolutely. I felt absolutely. That you know, every, every time that happens, like, I don't even know if you were watching uh, the Euro yeah. when it was uh, Denmark versus Ukraine mm-hmm. and homeboy got a red card for sliding into that guy's. Knee. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I felt that. I yeah. for sure felt that shit. Yeah. My my knees started throbbing when I saw that. <laughs> so it's brutal watching these injuries. But I guess that homeboy just has that much muscle that, you know, it kind did. of yeah, he was, yeah, able to just... was able to absorb most yeah. of the impact. But that's good to see. And um, I don't know if you saw what game five, he seemed to be walking from the locker room to the bench with no real significant limp. That's true. I mean, from two days away like i you think they have a limp he had no crutches no nothing so i think i don't think he's gonna return this series but if the bucks do make it to the finals i could maybe see a finals appearance from him but then again it was i'm telling you that that injury just looked bad i don't know how the hell it's only a hyper extended knee and a sprain yeah i have a question for you though so the bucks are up three two right now going back to atlanta for game six Obviously, we know Trey Young is more than likely going to try at least somewhat try and see if he can go mm-hmm. for that game, regardless of how bad his ankle is or his foot is. He's going to try to get out there and play. Do you, as the Bucks, go ahead and be like, yo, Giannis, let's put no. you out there and like put the no. nail in the coffin on these guys and no. get that that first ever finals appearance under your belt? I don't man. I don't I just I don't think Giannis can play. I'm like, Mm -hmm. obviously, if he was like game time Mm -hmm. decision, then Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe. But I just don't think he's in any shape or form ready to play. I think he needs he if they can win game six, which we'll get into the predictions for our uh, for the rest of the series. But if they can win game six and get because I think the NBA finals start July 8th, if they can get that many days off, what is that? Seven days, six days off and before they start game one. That, that in itself is a huge victory. And even if that doesn't happen and they finish on July 5th, they still get another three days to kind of rest up if he doesn't play game seven. Because I don't know, just from that injury, I'm just like, how did he not tear his ACL? That just looks so gruesome. And yeah. And and even when he was laying on the, the, the thing that you noticed or I noticed the most is when Clay Thompson went down and when Jamal Murray went down, they grabbed their knee and I look at them and how their hand motion is telling the trainer how what they felt in their knee. And when those those other two guys, when they went down, they were talking about how it felt like their knee kind of shifted out of place and shifted back, which is exactly what happened to me. So I, Giannis was kind of saying that, but I'm just like, 
I guess he's good, <laughs> which is I'm, I'm glad he's good, but it'll be interesting. So let's actually talk about the prediction for the remainder of the series. Uh, I originally had the Hawks winning it. I thought they would take a 3-2 lead uh, going into game six because I thought Trey Young would have played game five. But now that that didn't happen, I have the Bucks taking this series. I, like I said, I do think the Hawks will force a game seven with Trey Young back in game six, but I think the Bucks will bounce back in game seven and win the series. Yeah, I think that um, home court has been a big, big thing in this series as far as like momentum shifts and all that stuff. And I, especially for Atlanta and, and, and I know people are not going to believe me when I said this, but I'm telling y'all when it was game, uh, what was that game four? Four, I believe. Yeah, game four, I believe. And everybody was talking about like, oh yeah, they don't have Trey Young, but you know, you never know. They could just get hot. Uh, I was like, look, Lemon Pepper Lou. I'm telling y'all, the the Hawks are gonna win that game. And especially when uh I saw like uh the pregame and they were talking about nine and a half. I was like, oh, take the nine and a half on that. I'm like, yeah, take the nine a, and a half a on that. Spread. I'm like, yo, that was just way too ridiculous. Cause I'm like, yo, the Hawks are going to come out swinging. And I think that the Bucks are just going to kind of not be ready for it for whatever reason. And they kind of, even PJ Tucker, he said like they just assumed that the, the Hawks would just, be nothing without Trey Young for whatever reason, even though they clearly have showed all season that they've been a scrappy, hard fought team with or without Trey Young. But yeah, uh, absolutely, I think we're, I'm expecting Trey Young to come back for game six. I'm expecting him to give it his all. And regardless if Giannis is there or not, I think the game is going to come down to um, whether or not the Hawks have that same sort of momentum that they did in game four. If they can shoot the lights out like they did, where you got Cam Reddish, Bogdanovich, I mean, hell, even Clint Capella hitting just crazy circus shots yeah. <laughs> behind the backboard. Like, Kobeus, LeBron, like, you, like, MJ. I was like, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, this, this, uh, this is, you know, that's not your night when you watch that go in. Yeah. So, so I'm like, if the Hawks have that type of game, then obviously this is going to seven, but. I think if, if the if the Bucks avoid that, they do they have the same sort of mentality as far as defense that they had in this in, in the previous series and in the games that they've won. I think that they win a close one. And I think when it comes down to it, if it goes down to the wire, mano y mano, Middleton has been their closer and he's been solid so far. I think he closes out for him in six and he shows exactly. He shows he's another guy similar to Paul George that I think he's another guy who doesn't really get the respect on like a casual NBA level and like a, a, a mainstream NBA level that he probably should deserve at this point in his career. But at, at this time, he's able to lead the Bucks to the finals. No Giannis Tentacumpo, and it's just him and Drew Holiday as the main stars. I think that that's that's huge for him to be able to have that sort of moment, that sort of platform to do, get that done. Uh, I might be wrong, but I think that the Bucks close them out in uh, Game Six. Yeah, is it is it me? Is it kind of crazy, or did the Bucks look better without Giannis? I mean, offensively, they had more I will say, I, I would say they had more energy. And I well, said, I'm not even I'm saying, saying that. I'm just saying, okay, defensively, they as definitely as took a step wise, back. Yes, but yeah, yes. that's what I'm talking about, yes. spacing wise, because if you really don't think have about re- it, if, yeah. like they have Clint Capella on Giannis. And he's able to just sit in the paint and force Giannis to take these jump shots or these fadeaways or whatever. 
But without Giannis in there, if you have shooters all over the place, including Brooke Lopez, you saw what Brooke Lopez did, drop 33 points. And then Bobby Portis, he's dropping 23 points. So, I mean, that spacing is so crucial. And that's why, like, even in the Western Conference Finals, when Zubak got injured in game five, the Clippers went ham just because they had that spacing. They didn't have that big man clog in the paint. So Giannis is kind of that big man clog in the paint. And I'm not saying, obviously, Giannis, they miss his defense and his rebounding like crazy. But their offense definitely looked a lot smoother. And it was much easier getting their shots because when I've been watching this series, it makes it seem like it's taken all their energy just in one possession to get off a shot. Giannis is dribbling the ball for maybe 10, 15 <laughs> seconds and passing it to Middleton. Middleton trying to get a post up, can't get anywhere. Then he passes in, someone's chucking up a shot. It's right. Bryn Forbes bailing them out or something like right. that. So it, it just looked bad. But actually in game five, it actually looked like they had a steady flow to their offense. So I agree with that because I think the problem sometimes and the same thing I felt like when in game four, uh, when the Hawks had gotten really just crazy hot, sometimes you get so caught up deferring to your star player and just, you know, giving the ball, giving the ball because, you know, that's your go to guy that you kind of like, I guess, I don't know if these guys sometimes forget. It's like, hey, you're an NBA player, too. I'm not saying that. You know, from a fan perspective, you probably want uh, Bobby Portis or um, PJ Tucker to just think that they're as a, on the same level as Giannis or anything like that. No, or Kevin Herter to think he's Trey Young or anything like that. I'm just saying that when they're not there, you can you can be able to play within the system and be able to the the wealth gets spread more around. And when guys are playing well and when guys are hitting their shots they start to feel that confidence and they start to feel like, yo, like, you know, I'm the man, you know, for at least maybe one or two seconds, you know, Bobby Portis was, was going crazy. Like you said, Brooke Lopez was going crazy and they didn't really have an answer for it because that inside outside game was just a little bit too much for them to handle. And I was just thinking in my head, I was screaming in my head. I'm like, where has this been all freaking game? Giannis or no Giannis. Where's this been all series? Like, yeah. Cause I'm like the bucks for me, frustrate me in the sense that yes you have Giannis and yes you can't you have shooters yes you have shooters but when you come up against teams like the Hawks or teams like the uh you know the the Heat or when um the the Nets would go small why are they not posting up more and why are they not going more inside and trying to punish in the paint because th- what does that do that forces the defense to the collapse and then you can kick off with an open three that's my thing it's like it's easier to get buckets closer to the rim than it is further away from the rim so I'm no, like, absolutely especially when you're like up, like, yeah. like james harden said when you're seven feet tall you gotta <laughs> exactly, do his dunk yeah, it exactly it's a lot easier exactly and so just to round it up i'm like it's like with uh football your run game sets up your passing game so i'm like go inside, get fouled, go to the free throw line, you know, and be able, and that's another thing, you know, with no Giannis, you don't have to worry about him, you know, struggling from the free throw line and anything like that too. Dude, so, I don't know about you, but these, these countdowns from these fans. Oh, have been that's been kind of, you know, and they're going to continue and they're going to continue. Oh, absolutely. I think, continue, I think so. that's been the freaking highlight of the entire series. Yeah, they saw yeah. Nets fans doing the, they do. and yeah. some of them, he's airballed some of them. Yes. The countdown. Yeah. Kenny Smith said like, yo, like he airballed like three shots in uh what was that in the game where uh they lost i think that was game four I game four yeah, yeah before he got he was injured like, yeah yeah so like him you know airballing like it just 
it's just show that like it was the epitome of like that game for them. They just weren't there. So and I you, feel like the Hawks could be down 20 points and they'll still do that countdown. And if oh, he misses, they're going to go crazy. And yeah. that could spark a run. That could. It's because it's almost like a big play. It's almost like a exactly. dunk. It's almost like him hitting a big shot. So I think, again, like him not being there, you don't have to necessarily even like work. I don't want to say, you know, worry about it, but like you don't have to have that sort of momentum shift in the game because he won't be on the free throw line to have that happen. He won't be, you know, a liability in that, in that sort of case, as far as like spacing and that sort of nature. But um, I, I think what the, the game plan for the bucks is going into this game is to duplicate, try to duplicate the same thing that you did in game five and let your defense set up your offense. And then the game plan, obviously with the Hawks is, let the, feed into the crowd, get, let the crowd help you out. I mean, get on runs, you know, and even if you get down, like you said, like 20, 15, 10 points, let that crowd get you up into the game, man, because it's something when you start hitting shots and when you start like, you know, getting a run going that you can really get back in the game. And as we've seen, just ask the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, no lead really is safe when you're playing the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, since you're talking about the Philadelphia 76ers, let's talk about them and the other teams that that lost in the second round because we didn't get to talk about them last week. So let's do this little little quick uh, talk about the losing teams. Sixers, they lost in seven games to the Hawks. And I think the biggest thing is Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has been the talk of the town, whether they're going to trade him. People already coming up with trade packages, so many uh, <laughs> sports outlets, and I've I've come up and I haven't really cooked up a lot of the trades, um, but some trade targets that they could try to go after because you got to realize Ben Simmons is still a young cat, very good in every single facet of the game outside of shooting. <laughs> but I mean, Damian Lillard depends on what he wants to do, or even CJ McCollum because I think high time that them two break up. I hope which we'll get into their new head coach. I hope them getting a new head coach doesn't hit a uh, run it back button because they're just going to be poor. I feel bad for Portland fans if that's the case. Um, and then another one, D'Angelo Russell, something along the lines. You could even do it straight up, D'Angelo Russell for Ben Simmons. That would be so crazy if D'Angelo Russell in a Ben Simmons trade because they were like, weren't they like teammates? Nah. No, 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 no. They went to the same high school though, right? Where am I tripping? They might have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or then, I mean, the biggest talk of this offseason trade, Bradley Beal. Mm. That's a possibility. And Man, then, that would be an interesting one for Philly fans, I'm sure. They would oh, love absolutely. to see that. And then a guy who just got traded, maybe Campbell Walker, package around him. Mm. Indiana. I mean, these Malcolm. trades these trades is really kind of doing Ben Simmons dirty. <laughs> like, Washington, well, Philly, oh, Washington, well, I mean, Indiana. I'm like, dang. Well, that's what happened. When you don't step up in the playoffs, this, this is your consequence. You to, to be a bit. Absolutely. <laughs> and then maybe a Malcolm Brogdon trade in Indiana. Like, God, dang, y'all hate this man. <laughs> you're gonna love you're this like... one. Where well, you're gonna love this one? This next one. Maybe a Buddy healed Sacramento Kings wow. package. Oh, that's just man. Or a Kyle Lowry sign and trade. Oh, yeah, man. none of I these just are retire at that point. <laughs> if I was Ben Simmons, I'd be like, yo, I'm I'm retired for the game of basketball. Yeah, but I I definitely think the Sixers. I mean, you've alluded to it in the past, and when they lost that. I think it's high time they go their separate ways with Ben Simmons or not. You didn't necessarily say that you said moves need to be 
or changes need to be made? I said before the season that if the 76ers don't, you know, have a big season this year, then it's probably going to be a referendum on either Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. And it's not going to be Embiid. We all know that. Not Well, not after the media has pretty much accosted Ben Simmons after yeah. everything. So, and it's a, it's a great conversation to have, to be honest with you, because here you have this guy who is a monster. He was an MVP candidate at one point, but cannot for the life of him stay healthy in Joel Embiid. And then here you have a guy who, for the most part, stays healthy, is a solid defender, is a great passer, is someone who's willing to share the basketball, is willing to run the offense, but for the life of him, cannot and will not shoot the basketball. And Ben Simmons. Sometimes, and his biggest knock that he's been getting is the fact that he's not even aggressive. He's taking five shots a game in the playoffs. So, so I mean, it's like, it's like, which, which, piece would you want to keep and which would you dump i think if that's I'm, a great conversation to have to be if honest. i'm the other team trading for ben simmons i jump on this like crazy because i think his trade value is lower than what it should be because i still have a lot of faith in ben simmons i still think he is a top 20 player in the nba regardless of what's going on up here and we talked give, about it last I'll episode you, yeah i'll say top 20 yeah I'll say top i 20. i definitely think it's something going on up here because if he unlocks what he's going up in his head, I think he can be an absolute star in this game. And I, I said it last podcast, too. I said if he can get a jump shot, not even a consistent one. We saw LeBron. He struggled with his jump shot earlier years in Cleveland, then went to Miami, kind of got a shot. Then he went back to Cleveland. He had it. And, you know, he's kind of uh, where he's at right now. So, I mean, even if he can get something from that, like early LeBron, where it's not super efficient, but it's a weapon that you have that forces teams to kind of have to play you out there. He can easily be a top five player in this league. Cause I mean, heck he's already a defensive player of the year candidate. So he has that. And then he's one of the best passes in the league too. So if I'm a team, especially like, OKC, you know, you just got Kemba Walker, which we'll talk about in a bit, you know, package Kemba Walker, throw him a couple first round picks, maybe uh, another young guy like uh, Darius Baisley, something like that. And, Try to get Ben Simmons. I mean, you're not wrong in the sense of like Ben Simmons' value is very low at the moment just because of the way he's getting just straight up torn apart in the media. Um, I totally agree. It's with rightfully you on that. so. And yeah, it's rightfully so because I think that um he kind of got away with the fact that of his style of play for the past few years, just because of the sense of like Oh, and B was injured, you know what I mean? And then also last year, he got injured himself, so he wasn't really available during uh, their playoff run. Um, but it's high time that he changed up his game. And we've seen, like, star players hit a certain point where it's like you either have to make a choice on whether or not you're going to, you know, and I'm not even saying, like, he has to just be taking, like, 20 or 30 shots or, you know, like, has to be taking, um, you know, just – shooting the ball every time he touches it but like i think he needs to be realistic in the sense of like he he can't be scared to shoot when he's wide open and he has to be able to stretch the floor he has to be able to make the defense respect him because we're even seeing like you know like john moran's not a great shooter but at least he's shooting him you know what i mean like you know that's what i'm saying like and you see and again, a couple like, go in it's gonna force right exactly to come and out. so and so the thing, like, you know, you made the comparison with LeBron James as far as, like, he didn't have the greatest of shot, but he would take him, though. That's the difference. It's like he's not even willing to take him. And so I think you have to kind of 
really evaluate if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, whether or not he's going to be willing to change. Because if he's not a willing to change and willing to adapt, then you kind of have to like sit him down and say, look, son, like if you're not really, if you're not willing to adapt to help us get better, you're only making us worse or making us work or making us stagnant. Because if we get stagnant, here come another team out of nowhere making moves that yeah. all of a sudden come out of nowhere. So I don't know if you caught what Danny Green said on, I forgot whose podcast he was on, but he basically said that Ben Simmons isn't that guy who goes out and works to try to get better. You kind of have to force him. You kind of yeah. have to and I've heard, and, feed him to get better. And I've heard that a lot of guys have said that about his work ethic, have questioned his worth ethic as far as like, and even going into the draft, his, his work ethic was really questioned. But I think it's the from the fact that you have these natural talented gifts, this athleticism and all this God-given talent that you've been able to dominate from a high school standpoint, dominate on a college standpoint, dominate your first couple of uh, seasons in the NBA, get notoriety, get all that love. No one's really told Ben Simmons probably as far as like, you know, from his from his circle that like, hey, dude you got to get in the gym or, you know, or, or, and he, he can't do it because somebody told him to, he has to do it because he wants to get better. He wants to be the best player. He, he says he feels like he's one of the best players in the league. Well, if you feel like you're one of the best players in the league, you got to put in the work to, to show it, you know, like you can't be out here making excuses like, Oh, I'm going four for 15 from the free throw line, you know, just because it's like, Oh, it's not my fault. Like, bro, you got to take responsibility for that and you got to own it. I think that's the biggest thing this offseason. Like Ben Simmons has to take all the criticism that he's had and own it, own it. Look in the mirror and be like, look, I screwed up. I didn't do right. I haven't been putting in that work like I probably should have. And it's one thing to, you know, be putting a lot of shots up in open gym, open run, and, and be able to do it when there's, you know, nobody guarding you and make a lot of threes or whatever and do a lot of drills or whatever. He needs to be practicing shooting the ball, with a defender on him or somebody that, you know, is, is, is defending him and like NBA level type defense, not, not, not this open run type of stuff, because anybody can look good in an open run. <laughs> anybody can look good in an open gym. So I think that's, what's going to help his game go even further is him pushing himself and others not necessarily forcing him to be better. But I think that, the 76ers are going to have to make a decision on whether or not they're going to stick with their young, you know, fresh prince, or they're going to be like, look, he's not the guy. We're going to get somebody else because they have all the talent, all the pieces there. They should be bare minimum every season, at least in the conference finals. There's no reason that they shouldn't have been in the conference finals this year, especially Absolutely. when you look at the, the road that they had. Absolutely. Let's move on. We got the Brooklyn Nets losing in seven to the Bucks. Basically, the big three, KD, Harden, and Kyrie. It's kind of crazy if you look at their salary cap table. Those three guys are going to be eating up $120 million in cap space <laughs> next season. So I think the biggest question that for them, obviously health is the biggest thing for them. But the mm-hmm. uh, next biggest thing is how's the rest of the roster going to fill out? Because you got Spencer Dinwiddie, who has a player option. He's going to opt out because he said it before the season even started that he wants to get paid uh, big bucks. And then you have DeAndre Jordan, who I think honestly is going to be a trade piece because he's eating up $9.9 million, almost $10 million. And that right there is too solid. And especially after what you saw from the 
the young dude off Claxton, of the bench. Nicholas Claxton, Claxton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and mean, they have him under contract. He's still yeah, on his rookie so contract. DeAndre Jordan this is going to be a goodbye. Yeah, and then you have Joe Harris in that crazy contract. He signed $17.3 million for next year. I think Joe's going to have to start fulfilling that contract because oh, absolutely. You know, it's only so long you can kind of like just be just the shooter in the corner. You got to have to start. Because that's my thing with Joe Harris is that like, and a lot of these guys who are just like shooters, I mean, it's cool that you get in the bag. Nope. Like, I'm never going to like, I'm never, ever, ever going to talk about another man's bag. But it's one thing that you're getting paid and you're getting, making huge money, but you got to get on the court, man. And you got to be able to knock down some shots because there was a lot of these shooters out here during these playoffs that's just been bricking it up. And especially when, you know, Katie had to pretty much put the whole team on his back. I was like, Joe, can you get me? Get, give me one, Joe. <laughs> One Joe, can I get one three, Brian? Come I on. think I think he missed what was it? Game five and game six. He missed every single three pointer he took in a game seven. He made like one, and it was like a late game th- three pointer. So everyone was going crazy, yeah. and then he misses the next two. So yeah. it's like, but yeah, I think that contract they're gonna expect a lot of out of Joe Harris. So I think he's definitely gonna be on a short leash. And then you have Landry Shamit making $3.7 million contract. So a pretty team-friendly contract from him. And then Alizé Johnson on his rookie contract. So it's going to be tough for this team given the Joe Harris and then obviously the big threes contract kind of filling out the roster. So I think it's going to be a lot of veteran minimum guys the buyouts, and, gonna, yeah. and the buyout market. Yeah. Um, so Sean Marks, he has his work cut out for him for sure. But I think the biggest thing for them going into this upcoming season is obviously I think they were kind of hampered by the fact that when they made the trade for James Harden, they were trading for an out of shape guy who was dead set on trying to get the heck about a Houston that didn't have any real offseason to prepare himself to be the James Harden that, you know, we've seen for the past few seasons him be. And I think that's one thing that he's going to have to, besides obviously, getting healthy is he's gonna have to get back in the gym get back in shape because they can't have they can't have mark henry show up to to play day one they gotta have james harden show up man i mean come on i'm not no disrespect but i'm just saying like they need that dude to be cooking and not eating. absolutely (laughs) absolutely and i think I, i said it last podcast i think james harden is the most important guy on this team not saying he's better than KD, but I think no, he's the no. most important player on this team just because when KD and Kyrie go to the bench, James Harden is the best at making other players better. You saw his days in Houston. If you could, there really wasn't the second best player was Eric Gordon on that team, Clint Capella. I mean, but I mean, there really wasn't anybody around him, another co star around him. So that's why, and Mike D'Antoni's assistant coach when he was the head coach with Houston. So he knew he was like, just throw out the guys who we have on veteran minimums out there. Let James Harden handle the rock and let him go to work. Kind of like, uh, like his Houston days. And then when Katie and Kyrie come back, he can kind of give them the, the ball. So I, that's why I think you're absolutely right that James Harden is the most important part of him this offseason is getting back into shape, getting his hamstring right, because hamstrings are nagging injuries, very nagging injuries. So uh, if he can fix that, then definitely like the the Nets chances next year. Yeah, I think like with next year, I think it's more so like a focus mentality. I think like all three of them really need to just like come together and like, you know, because obviously when they all teamed up together and they all came together, you know, they want to win a championship. It's not that it's just, 
you know, I think the focus just has to honestly be there to want to win a championship. And I'm not saying they weren't. It's just obviously, you know, the injuries didn't help. And, you know, figuring out obviously the roles didn't help. And we always say this when like a a big three comes together, season one is always going to be the filling out phase. And I feel like they went through that. And if KD's foot was behind the line, could have really still been playing right now. I mean, but ultimately things didn't go their way. But I just feel like this up and coming season is if the Nets don't get to the finals, I think everybody's going to be like, and and no injuries were in place. Everybody's going to be looking at them kind of like, yo, this team is going to be another OKC. Absolutely. If they're not able to get a ring. I think this team in the beginning of the season, I feel like they didn't have in- enough time to fully mesh with one another. Because even in the yeah. playoffs, James Harden was out and then Kyrie went out. James Harden came back. So I think in the beginning of next season, they're going to have a little struggle and people are going to be like, oh, my God, are the Nets done? Are they overrated? Nah, nah, yada, yada, nah. yada. And then they're going to start turning it up. And it's going to yeah, be playoff I don't time. even pay like the first like couple months. I won't even really like heavily focused like look at, look at Steph Curry yeah. Steph Curry in the beginning of the season he was washed apparently yeah. and then he became an MVP candidate because because we all know as far as offensive goes like you got all three of these guys who are three of the best one-on-one players in the NBA can get you an instant bucket provide instant offense it's like how do you guard this team and we saw it even in the playoffs I mean just ask the Bucks those first two games they looked like they were dead in the water <laughs> they could not do anything to stop them and it's like imagine having to deal with that for seven in a seven game series it's like it's hell on earth so I think ultimately get healthy one be ready to go when the season starts and I'm just really curious to see what they what they are going to do after they have a full offseason together and uh, some time to heal up after they you know had to go through such a, a really grueling, tough season uh, uh, this year. Absolutely. We already talked about the Nuggets last episode, so let's talk about the next team in the Western Conference, the Jazz. They lost in six games to the Clippers. Do they run it back with this healthy squad? Do they make any changes to this team? Because me personally, I think the Jazz have Mike Conley in that playoff run. It could be different. And they were a victim to the injury bug. And he's really their only impending free agent. He's a significant one, I should say. And he was making $34 million last season. I don't think he's going to get that for sure. I think he's going to get <laughs> close to the $20, 25000000 million range from them. Or maybe they don't even go after him. They go after someone else. But do you think any changes need to be made to this team or they should just run it back? Because I mean, they did finish with the best record in the NBA. They did. And so I, I think it's, it reminds me of like when – Cause they have a good team. Like I'm not even going to say like they're, they're a bad team or anything like that. I think the main issue is, is that when guys are not making shots, like your Joe Ingles, your Royce O'Neal's, your uh, Jordan Clarkson's, um, your Bogdanovich's, um, like if they're not making shots, that puts all the pressure on the shoulders of Donovan Mitchell to have to be literally their sole source of offense because we already can pencil in Rudy Gobert is going to be playing majority of defense and just getting rebounds and getting dunks and, you know, trying to get putbacks. But outside of that, we know that's not the formula for winning. You're going to need at least one, two, 83. I would say two guys that can go out and get you a certified bucket. And right now all they have is one. So, I mean, 
that puts a lot of load on Donovan Mitchell. And when, like you said, Mike Conley wasn't available, that put a lot of the pressure on him to make sure that they were at least competitive in their, in their role. But I think the, the biggest thing for them is trying to maybe see if they can uh, run it back. But if things are, you know, I don't want to say if things are not going well, but I think they kind of have to like let this team grow together because I don't, I'm not saying like it's time to blow this team up because they've only had, what is it? This has been year two really. And not even year two. Because, I wouldn't even say it's year two. Because like Bogdanovich, year one and a half. yeah, yeah, yeah. One and a half. Cause they didn't even have a fully healthy Bogdanovich. They barely got Jordan Clarkson, uh, you know, a couple seasons ago in the bubble. So Mike I Conley you, was still getting adjusted. Yeah. So I think, I think you got to give it one more year to see how far you can go with the team. And, then when I think after next season, then that's when they'll probably seriously evaluate and look at what they want to do and where they want to go. But other than that, I think they run it back with the same team that they got, to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm on the same boat as you. I think maybe if they do make one change, maybe, and that's, I'm not saying he's not a good player, but maybe trade Joe Ingles. He's 33 years old. He's making 14 million next year. That's a fair, I think, I think maybe get a more younger physical two way player instead of him, because I think that's a big, big thing that they're lacking is physicality. It's really Royce O'Neal and then nobody else on the defensive end that can really guard those wing uh, players like the LeBrons, like the Kawhis and yeah, stuff they like definitely that. So, they would have loved to have had like a Jay Crowder or something like that. Absolutely. But I think if you do get that defender, they also have to be a floor spacer as well, too. They cannot be a liability on offense. Can't be Tony Allen. <laughs> yeah, so I think they need to get a, a more physical two-way wing guy for uh, Joe Ingles. I mean, I feel like that's their only trade piece that they really could offer because I don't see them really offering anybody else. Um, and then – and they also in their draft, maybe they could get someone as well, too. But also maybe get a veteran backup facilitator because I think – when Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell go out of the game, need rest, or if one of them goes down, who's really that guy who's going to facilitate off the bench? It was somewhat Joe Ingles, but I just, he's not going to get you, not going to get the job done. And then Jordan Clarkson, he's more of a shooter, create his own shot. He can't create for others. So I definitely think you need a guy like that to come off the, the bench to help that out. Yeah. I mean, you know, We'll see what they were able to do as far as, like you said, the draft and, you know, if anything, they can try to sneak something in free agency. Let's touch on some other NBA news. We had a lot of hirings going on. Uh, Celtics hire Emeo Doka as the head coach for the Celtics. And that's Brad Stevens' first front office move. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I know he's been assistant with the Spurs for a little bit. I know uh, people love giving uh, Popovich disciples. So this will be an intriguing, you know, rookie head coach situation because you never really know what you're going to get out of a rookie head coach, especially a guy who's an unknown. But the thing I do like about it is the mystery of it. For the Celtics fans, you kind of like have this mystery of a guy who you don't really know what you're going to get. You don't really have any room to be pessimistic, but you have a whole lot of room to be optimistic because, um, if this is somebody who was under the tutelage of a Greg Popovich was able to pay his dues throughout his tenure, throughout the NBA, a former player as well. And a guy who, you know, who was able to, you know, like I said, see things from a, a different perspective, as far as, you know, 
do a lot of time and and paying his his dues as an assistant coach. I think this is going to be an intriguing thing for the Celtics, but I think more so than anything outside of the head coaching situation, they really need to figure out what they're going to do with the roster as far as going into next season, because I think that's their biggest issue has been figuring out how do you get a championship level roster and that's just something that they haven't been able to get right as far as chemistry wise I think the past few years outside of the year that they went to the conference finals they definitely have pieces over there now it's just about putting them all together um and then we have the Pacers hiring Rick Carlisle as their head coach he was the assistant for the Pacers from 1997 to 2000, and then he became their head coach in 2003 to 2007. And now he is back again with the Pacers. Thoughts on that? Um, the way he kind of just abruptly left the Mavs was kind of like, huh? Like It was just like, I don't know. Did you see his uh, statement that he said when he left? Not really. I, I heard that there was he just like, said, like he was it out. It was all through text, but yeah, you can definitely tell there was some animosity with him and Luca. I mm. him, him and Luca did not get along with each other. And there's even been reports that I didn't know about until I saw that message. I kind of did my research. Apparently him and Luca did not see eye to eye for like the last year or so. Mm. So obviously the Celtics front office is going to go with Luca over Rick Carlisle, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of crazy that that completely threw me off, but yeah, that's, they didn't see it, and I think that's why they kind of parted ways with one I another. I think that's something that you're never gonna really like heavily hear about unless you start to see a you start unless the media start to like kind of like shift their gears on how they view Luca because you know Luca is a media darling, and you're not really gonna hear the quote unquote dark side of Luca Doncic, but he's got some feistiness in him. Like we've seen like him get a little heated in games and kind of like you know with the ripping of the jerseys and going off on referees and stuff like that. The dude's got a bit of a fire in him that he's not afraid to show. So uh, would, I, would I be shocked if he and Carlisle got into it? Not really. No, I'm, but, no I wouldn't be. But, but it's it just, just surprised kind of me interesting that, guy... that he, that Carlisle decided to bring that out is what I'm saying. That's yeah, interesting. that's kind of left uh, left his old job and, you know, decided to like air out some dirt as he was leaving the door. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he's got a nice team over there. I think a very underrated team when healthy. Brogdon, Lavert, T.J. Warren when he comes back, if he's bubble T.J. Warren or if he's a regular season T.J. Warren, who still isn't bad. But uh, And Sabonis, Miles Turner. So, I mean, he has a lot of pieces over there to get the job done. But A playoff team for sure. should be. Yeah, absolutely, if healthy. And then we have the Mavericks, obviously, since they let go of uh, Rick Carlisle, they hired Jason Kidd as their head coach, which in this uh, when Rick Carlisle got interviewed as he left uh, the Mavs, he said, my advice is to for the Mavs to hire Jason Kidd. So I guess they took his advice. But uh, (laughs) yeah, Kidd, if you look at his coaching resume and who he's coached, he's head coach Giannis, now Luca. He's also coached Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Joe uh, Johnson when he was on the Nets. And he was also the assistant for the Lakers. So he coached LeBron and AD. So he's got to coach a lot of guys uh, with superstar capabilities. Yeah, he's definitely a savvy coach indeed. Uh, as we remember the the water incident uh, back when he was coaching the Bucks, I believe like he had like a little bit of a an incident where he tried to snake oil salesman a, a timeout just to mm. be able to to fool the NBA referees. So I mean, I, I mean, Jason Kidd definitely I, I feel is an NBA head coach in the sense of like him being that floor general, a la very similar to uh, 
to Chris Paul in a sense. And uh, the guy that we're going to talk about next, those guys definitely had the the savviness of it all to be able to see things from a coach's perspective and and a player's perspective with them being, you know, legendary, you know, Hall of Fame type players and, you know, championship caliber players as well. So I'm intrigued to see him go back to a former team that he helped win a championship with as a player and see what he's able to do as a head coach. And him paired up with Luca is going to be interesting to see whether or not Luca can finally get that MVP award. Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting. And depending on what they do in the front office uh, with some of their pieces in Dallas, he's going to have a lot on his plate. Last up for the hirings, we have the Trailblazers hiring Chauncey Billups as head coach. Uh, His first year as an assistant coach this past season with the Clippers, and now he's got his first head coaching gig in Portland. And he's going to have a lot of work to do, (laughs) a lot of work to do with the expectations of the fans, the front office. Uh, it's kind of growing restless over there in Portland, but uh, I think the big thing is it, it's a fem- it's it feels similar to Ty Lue in the sense of like um, I I don't know how like Portland fans feel about Chauncey Billis, but from what I gauged on what I was looking at, I did not see a whole lot of hooray Chauncey Billis is our head coach from Portland Trailblazers fans. So I, I if anything, it was about be- that it was about that question that the the athletic asked about his previous incidences and Portland shutting it down, their PR team shutting it yeah, down real yeah. quick. So it wasn't so, wasn't the best of uh introductions for Chauncey Billups. Not at all. And I feel like with Chauncey, he's definitely gonna have that over his head to deal with, but I think that's all gonna get quieted down if the Trailblazers start having a phenomenal season. And I think, like I said, he's gonna have to look into what Ty Lue's doing with the Clippers and what some of the, the successful NBA coaches are, are getting out of their star players. And it's going to be intriguing to see what Damian Lillard and him are able to do as a tandem together. Because again, if is, Dam- is there, Hey, Hey, if he's willing to still be there, because I mean, I think, I think Dame is in the sense, he's kind of a little bit restless of the fact that he's had these, early playoff exits and he's tired of getting bounced out so early but I think he's also trying to you know show that because I think he believes he's just as better if not better than Steph Curry so if he believes he's the top point guard in the league and he feels like he's one of the best players in the NBA he probably feels like I should not be getting bounced out in the first round so if Chauncey is is the guy that he wants he will let everybody know that you know, this is working out. This is cool. You know, because he sends some subliminal shots after they got bounced out that he's not happy. And, oh, absolutely. And know, he said he wanted uh, Jason Kidd as head yeah, coach. So, I mean, we'll we'll see. Because I think the, the some time will have to take place as far as them figuring it out. Um, but I definitely will not put the, the stamp of championship or bust for them next season as far as like whether or not their 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 season will be described as positive or negative if they don't win a championship because I don't think anybody's expecting them to do that next year. Yeah, and I think they'll definitely need his uh defensive mind because that's something that Terry Stotts didn't have and that was something they struggled numerous amount of years and Chauncey Billups being a two-time all defensive player so definitely will help them out um but if you look at chauncey billups uh well i guess you can't really see his resume but like what he's been offered in the past three years first of all he's only 44 and 
he previously had head coaching offers and even front office offers as the GM. And he kind of turned all those down to became an assistant. And now he is uh, the head coach in Portland. So I, he's with his savviness and his love for the game and just his success with the game as well, too. He's going to be in the NBA front offices or as a coach for a long, long time. Let's talk about the loan trade that has happened so far in uh, the offseason for these teams, and that is the Celtics and Oklahoma City Thunder trade that went down. Uh, OKC is getting Kemba Walker, the 16th pick in this upcoming draft and the 2025 second rounder, and they are sending the Celtics Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second rounder. So Kemba Walker, he signed through 2022 and he has a player option in the 2022-2023 season and is about 34 to $37 million. So he's making a lot of money. And then Al Horford is making $27 million next year and $26.5 million the next season. Then Moses Brown just signed a four-year contract when he signed with the Thunder, and he has three years left basically on a minimum contract. And he was like a little mini Andre Drummond in his time uh, with OKC. So what are your thoughts on this trade? Um, it's a weird one for me because I, I'm trying to understand where Sam Presti is coming from in the sense of like, obviously they want to build confidence with their young team and they want to be able to have a team in place that they can use their draft capital to improve and make better and, you know, get back to being a contender potentially like they were in a few years ago, but, you know, we seen that Shea Gillis Alexander had huge improvement the past couple of seasons. And for them to, you know, trade for Kemba Walker is a little head scratchy for me, just for the simple fact that I feel like, you know, I would be putting more stock in trying to develop and trying to make Shea Gillis SGA more of a priority than, you know, obviously Kemba. So I don't know if this was a trade, like, you know, like a trade before a trade sort of thing. Like, this might not be Kemba's final stop. Before... And that's why I mentioned that when we were talking about Ben Simmons, that it's possible that there's a package around uh And we Kemba know Walker. Sam Pressy is no stranger to no trades, so... I, I do find it crazy how they got Al Horford and a first-round pick from the Sixers, and then they just flipped Al Horford for a first-round pick. So Sam Presti is a wizard at, at these draft picks. Yeah, and I feel like it's a it's it's i think um you talk about brad stevens and some of the you know obviously the coaching hire and this trade move that he has made i think he's trying to get a familiarity back and when he had success as the head coach al horford was one of the guys that was one of the key reasons for that because he was the Embiid stopper you know and was one of the guys that was always given uh opposing teams issues their big men issues but I'm not necessarily sure at this point in time of his career how valuable he is in his position in the NBA right now because I, obviously the biggest problem we know that the Celtics have is lacking big men and lacking uh, a big presence down low, uh, especially like, you know, veteran presence. I know that they really haven't had that. And that's been like one of the things that's like cost them and, previous seasons but another thing that right now they're kind of missing is they're kind of missing just outside of Tatum and Brown when he's healthy they're missing that guy you know what I mean they're missing another guy that will be 
alongside them and not have like it they've had Kyrie, they've had Kimba, they've had Gordon Hayward. Injured, injured, injured. <laughs> All three guys have been like, you know, had injury prone inch and, and been had injury issues. So um the trade for me is kind of a head scratcher for both teams. But I mean, if it more so makes a little bit more sense from a Celtics perspective than an OKC perspective. But then you look at the 16 pick and that kind of makes a little bit more sense for OKC. But Kemba Walker, I feel like his final resting stop will not be in Oklahoma City. I feel like he's definitely going to get flipped again, um, whether it's at the draft or whether it's before the season, during the season. I just don't see Kemba Walker being a guy that's going <laughs> to. I don't know how many games he's going to be <laughs> with an OKC jersey, but I, I'm not expecting it to be a full season next year. And if it is, I'll be shocked. Yeah. And I think also maybe what you were talking about with the Celtics, I think one of the biggest things in this trade that's going on the radar is Moses Brown, basically on one of the nicest contracts for the type of player that he is. He's not even making over two mil in the next three years. So but then now you have a problem at big man. You have Al Horford, you have Moses Brown, you have Robert Williams, and you have Tristan Thompson, who is a free agent after next year. So you have four starting caliber big men. What's going to happen? Are you bringing Al Horford to try to, you know, mentor Robert Williams and Moses Brown? Or what's the deal? Are you looking to flip Robert Williams to get a solid score that could be that number three alongside of Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? Because I think Moses Brown can fill the role as a big man along with Al Horford and those two other guys maybe get the boot, even though I think Robert Williams is a phenomenal player, but he's too injury prone. He can't stay on the court for too long or for long stretches because he just gets gas. So, you know, I guess Brad Stevens knows that firsthand being the head coach of the, the, the Celtics so now that he's in the front office he's kind of exploiting the, their weaknesses and maybe trying to flip them for assets let's talk about the NBA lottery that went down last week the Pistons ended up winning the lottery getting that number one pick Rockets dropped to number two uh, I think the biggest jump was the Raptors from number seven jumping all the way to number four the Cavs jumped from five to three OKC fell from six to four and Orlando fell from five to three or sorry, from three to five and OKC fell from four to six. That's what I meant to say, but yeah, crazy, crazy uh, that the Raptors the team that just won the NBA championship two years ago are picking at number four and in a draft where the top five picks could be franchise changers. So yeah, that would be huge. And I said that like, if they could pick up, cause I feel if they get a guy like a go-to guy for them and, you know, depending on which rookie they obviously are able to get and falls into their lap, that could be a guy that you got Fred Van Fleet, you got Siakam, you pair him up with maybe this upcoming rookie that they get in the first round. And you have great role players around Gary Trent, OG. They could be right back in the mix yet again. So, I mean, like, I think this season was a, a, a real blessing in disguise for Toronto and, you know, call me crazy, but, you know, shedding some of the fat off that they had as far as, you know, Ibaka and uh, Marcus Gasol and, and then probably Lowry's going to be uh, going as well might have been, you know, I don't want to say a blessing in disguise, but really is going to help them out <laughs> as far as like not, you know, having to go through like a, a big, uh 
losing stretch of missing the playoffs. It might just be one year missing the playoffs and boom, right back there. But yeah, to think that they have a chance to get either Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs, both guys who I think would fit in perfectly, especially with this Raptors. <laughs> yeah, but even Jalen Suggs too, yeah, having him alongside, too. like that would mm-hmm. be perfect for this Raptors team. So definitely, but I'm just definitely looking at like, lucky. the athleticism of Jalen Green if he's able. Oh yeah, to- he just has that scoring wow. mentality. Like that. That would be huge for them because I feel like Toronto would love Jalen Green to just fall into their lap at four, man. Because that would just be like they just got to figure out their center position. That was and like, that would oh, be it, and that would be yeah. it. Honestly, you know, and, and Kim Birch, Kim Birch did a decent job towards the end of the season for the Raptors, right, right. right. And, and then I, I feel think... like that would be the only thing that would kind of be like missing. And it's just crazy, like Masai Jerry is just just licking his chops already, probably just like hoping and praying that he's able to get you know, a potential Hall of Fame player right mm-hmm. into his lap. Yeah, and I think one thing that nobody's talking about is the Cavs from number five. It's crazy because they were – or sorry, they were six because the Thunder and the Cavs had the same lottery odds and they did, they did a coin flip, and basically the Cavs lost the coin flip. So if that would have been OKC that would have lost the coin flip, they would have probably had the number three pick right now. So it's crazy how that works. But, um, yeah, Cavs jumping from – six to three and now there's been rumors about maybe trading colin sexton mm. and bringing in more of a maybe move yeah going darius garland another guard or jalen green whatever it is at number three because i think the consensus number one is well consensus number one is for sure Cade cunningham yeah He's probably gonna I go feel to like detroit. a lot of people saying yeah Cade cunningham to detroit is but then again it's, it's almost detroit that's that's detroit you never know <laughs> but um and then the Rockets, depending on what they'll do. We'll have a mock draft coming out sooner uh, when it comes close to the NBA draft. But Yeah, because I feel like with a lot of these guys, especially the top guys, you know, even Evan Mobley, who I think is slowly but surely going to get underrated the more and more. Evan um, Mobley might be my favorite player in the draft. Just because of the potential he has to... And his versatility inside and his agility and for a seven footer for a seven footer, be able to move like that's crazy. But, you know, I think that the biggest thing is going to be where some of these guys land, because, you know, you could have all the star potential in the world. And if you go to a franchise, that's not too great as far as drafting and, and not too great as far as developing guys into star players, you know, a guy who has all the potential in the world can go and straight away not be the same player, you know, a la Marco Folks, a la, you know, uh, Kwame Brown and all these other dudes. So, I mean, like, I think it's always about situation when it, it comes to the player. And even with the NFL draft, I always say that, you know, you can have all the time in the world, but if you go to a bad team, good luck, buddy, especially these young quarterbacks. Yeah, for sure. And I think, OKC and Orlando falling from their positions, getting out of the top five for Orlando. Especially Orlando. Five. But, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, they got they got lucky. They got uh, the, the Chicago Bulls pick from the Vucevic trade because if that, I think, ended top four, Chicago would have kept that pick. So they got lucky. So they're at number five and number eight. That um, is good. That is good. So, yeah, they, maybe you're able to get two top ten players. So maybe we'll you cook up something and maybe try to make a trade. It'll be interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. the only way you're gonna get somebody like that's a, a, yeah. a big name right now. Because I feel training, like so. I feel like every position of theirs it isn't set, but it is fulfilled. I feel like guards sense. 
is definitely fulfilled and like big man they don't really have to worry about big man but more and then so, wing I think players they need, like they got jonathan isaac they got they do but i think they need to maybe get think about getting somebody for that wing position because i feel like the way that you build and get an nba championship is you either need uh a talented uh wing player like a, a small forward power forward level player because you need to get that first and if you're able to get that guy first, then you build around him as far as that goes. Because that's, to me, the guys that, you know, we see leading teams to championships as far as – and it's not to say that guards can't, but when we talk about the top players in the league, majority of them are wing players. Giannis, LeBron, KD, you know, uh, we, Kawhi. You know, we talk about those guys, you know, more so than the guards. Again, it's not to say that the guards can't lead, you know, you know look at CP3. But I just think that, you know, you, you got to get yourself like somebody who can have that length and be able to have that uh, that versatility, be able to 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 guard guys on uh, that maybe like one through four, at least bare minimal. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we got a mock draft coming out closer to the NBA draft. But that's going to wrap it up. NBA packed episode because uh, it's playoffs finals coming up soon. Eastern Conference finals about to wrap up soon. We're going to get into some of the other sports. MLB, we got All-Star Week coming up. So we're going to definitely talk about baseball because my man Shohei Otani is killing it. <laughs> MVP, he is killing it right now. Um, but the Angels haven't been killing it. So it's, kind of been, it's been it's been a weird, rocky season for me as a fan. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Nosebleeds. Make sure you guys are following us on social media, on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. On Instagram, The Nosebleeds. And on Facebook, look up The Nosebleeds Podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're on those. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, shoot us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. Write us a review if you're feeling generous. And pretty much that's it. Corey, any last words? NBA playoffs, man, has been the weirdest thing I think I've seen in a long time. That's for sure. Uh, if it wasn't for these injuries, I think that it would probably be majority chalk. But the these injuries, and I said it before the playoffs started, y'all. We are going to see some crazy stuff happen in these playoffs, but I didn't think it would be the Phoenix Suns going to the NBA Finals and the Atlanta Hawks being two games away from going to the NBA Finals. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And if if your team ain't in the NBA playoffs right now, don't sleep because there could be some trades being cooked up behind the scenes. But other than that, that's going to wrap it up. We'll catch you all next time. Deuces.